This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. And this is For God's sake Don't drink the Jones juice Welcome back to episode 4-1 4-1 41 I was like why are you saying episode 4? 4-1 D plus 1 41 <laughs> Hi guys Happy Tuesday <laughs> Yeah um, I guess we're gonna post this in the group And on Instagram and whatnot But we're gonna start releasing episodes on Tuesdays Instead of Mondays Because we just kind of need a buffer In between Sunday and the release date Just in case like I mess up the audio Or um, I get drunk on Saturday And can't record (laughs) Sunday So um, yeah If you You see that (laughs) we're not releasing on Mondays anymore It's because it will come out the following day On Tuesday life you know yeah so um just keep that in mind i guess i did have somebody message me today and they're like where's Where's that that i'm like it's coming tuesdays guys tuesday sorry tuesdays from now on tuesdays from here on out Mm -hmm. so how was your weekend brooke (sighs) my weekend was good i feel like i've been so busy lately like, I just feel like I have not, like, stopped. Yeah. So, like, I don't, like, I'm thinking, like, what day is it? I don't even know. Like, I just feel like I'm, like, there's been so much crap going on just jam-packed, like, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, What night was it I went to the concert? I don't even know. Like, it, it's just been crazy. I've been doing all kinds of stuff. So, went to a Dave Matthews concert. I don't remember what night that was, but that was my first one ever, and it was actually really, really nice. You had fun? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you I know did. any of the songs? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know several Dave Matthews songs, but, like, I'm not, like, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, you know what I mean? But it, right. it was a cool experience, so. Well, cool. I'm glad that you're doing stuff because I don't know how you are, but I hate just always being at my house doing nothing. Oh, yeah. This is a nice change for sure. So. Well, good. I feel like... I feel the same, but also not the same because I haven't really done too much. This weekend, I actually hung out with Brooke's mom and her friends. Me and Scotty both did. And That's we... right. I did that too. I'm like, what What have I yeah. been doing? Oh, yeah. You went to Tybee with them on Saturday. So Saturday, I took off of work and mm-hmm. went to and went on a day trip with my mom and some of her girlfriends for my mother's birthday. And then later that evening, Alyssa and my brother came out and karaoke with my mom yeah you can tell that story (laughs) uh well i'm a shy person and karaoke is really not my cup of tea but i got drunk enough to do it and i want to formally apologize to everybody involved because (laughs) i hope there's a video somewhere i hope there's not because (laughs) (laughs) but i begged scotty not to record me i don't know if he did or not but um he told me he didn't but who knows it's nice of him but i just i hardly even remember i don't even dude i don't know i think i was just singing stuff because i i was pretty like drunk and 
and, and it's crazy because two of the songs I sang are sta- I sang I'm Still Standing by Elton John mm-hmm. and then Annie's song by John Denver. And I sing those songs all the time. Like when I get in the car, the rare times I listen to music because it's mostly podcasts I listen to. I feel like those are tough songs, Alyssa. <laughs> well, I was drunk, okay? <laughs> but it's also so, you know, I don't really know a lot of like earlier pop and that kind of thing because i didn't grow up on it Mm -hmm. um so those were just two of the songs that i definitely knew Mm -hmm. and i sing them all the time i love those songs and um yeah when you're drunk you mm -mm. do you think you killed it like in a good way (laughs) no i think i killed it in a very bad way how are you feeling when you are on stage um you know not that not that scared um that's what i'm saying you feel super confident like when you're drunk i didn't feel super confident i was still scared but i like i did it so obviously it wasn't too bad but i would never your mom um i begged her to sing i'm still standing with me because i just wanted somebody to sing with me for my first time and she said she would her and jennifer both did but we were butchering it so because that's a fast song mm-hmm. you don't even realize how fast it is to like you're not hearing the words and you just have to sing the words and so we're just standing there like looking at each other and scotty had to rush up there and he saved oh really (laughs) he was following it pretty well oh yeah he i mean he knows that song Mm -hmm. but um i had begged him to sing with me first and he said no but then look who ended up having to sing with me because we just could not do it that is so funny did he sing a lot scotty sang a lot yeah Yeah. which usually when we do karaoke he sings like one or two songs but he sang a lot good and i had one more song in the in the queue and it was my turn and patty was like all right Alyssa, you're up next and i was like okay but i gotta go throw up first oh no (laughs) i didn't throw up but um i really felt like i was going to so you passed on that one yeah and i was really i'm well i was really sad about it when i was drunk but now that i'm not drunk i'm so glad <laughs> i did not sing this song what song was it um it's another elton john song it's your song oh yeah, yeah. but wow. the moulin rouge version because that's the version i know mm-hmm. and i'm just god did that for me <laughs> <laughs> he's like all right chick go throw up he's like um <laughs> You're really going to hate yourself more in the morning when you're sober. Oh, my gosh. So, but well, it I'm was... I'm glad you had a good time, though. Dude, I had... I really did have a blast. I told Scotty on the way home that I wanted to do it again. Yeah. So, and... Me too. Your mom was like... Your mom was like, uh, Alyssa has the voice of an angel before I sing. <laughs> and then Jennifer was like saying that she thought that I would sing more... I could do Adele good mm-hmm. and i was like i really can't sing though like your mom has heard me sing like like once before but mm-hmm. it was it wasn't me actually singing it was just like you know just the soft singing mm-hmm. and your mom ever since then like six years ago just always tells me that i have a very like angelic voice and i'm like okay Aww. but like you haven't really heard me sing because yeah it's not the same okay? i want to hear you sing um, maybe if you do karaoke sometime oh, with us from here. Yeah, here. Maybe one day. That'll be like a year from now when I have another break from my kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was super fun. And me and Scotty slept on some air mattresses. And let me tell you, that was terrible. Where'd y'all stay at Patty's? No, we went, James drove us back to. Why'd y'all sleep on an air mattress? 
Because Jay had the couch. Oh, Charlie, Jennifer. Yeah. Gotcha. And like, not that air mattresses are bad, but when you're drunk and they're like Uh. wobbling everywhere and I was already feeling nauseous, it was just, I had a hard time falling asleep. Yeah. And like every time I'd close my eyes, I'd get the spins. (laughs) I was like, I really don't drink much. I feel like I've talked about me being drunk a lot on this (laughs) podcast, but honestly, I think, um, Okay, since we started the podcast, I've only been drunk once. And I think that was your second time. Let me think. I drank with you. I drank and when I when me and Scotty went to Savannah, we got drunk at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then that time. So like three times, I think, in a year, which I really don't feel like is bad. No, there's people that drink every weekend. Every day. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> three times in a year is okay. Right. And I always make sure Titus has somebody that he's safe with. So you deserve it, dude. Thank you. I'm glad you had a good time. I had really the time of my life. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad I couldn't like be a like a fly on the wall to see it because i just know i just know (sighs) that i would be crying oh goodness oh i got stung by a jellyfish at the beach did mom (gasps) tell you that yeah oh i think i overheard it yeah yeah so i think at that point it was just me mom and jennifer in the water and like we're just kind of like standing there talking or whatever you know Mm -hmm. i was like maybe like right below my boobs deep and all of a sudden I feel this like shock. That's the best way to explain it. Like an electrical shock through like my stomach, like on the side of my stomach. And I'm like, I think I just got stung by a jellyfish. Yeah. I got stung by, yep, yep. I got stung by a jellyfish. Gotta go, gotta go. (laughs) It's like one of those things you're like, what the fuck just happened to me? You know? Yeah. Did you have a line on you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like just one tentacle got me, thank goodness. But, um, I started like walk, you know, walking up to the sand, and mm-hmm. uh, Brenda's like, "Oh my god, girl, did you really get stung? Are you sure you got stung?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm pretty certain I got stung. Like it wasn't showing up yet." Yeah, and she's like, "Girl, you should have been on your knees." And I'm like, "No, like I'm pretty tough. I'm okay." And like she kept telling me to go to the to the first aid place, and I was yeah. like, "No, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine." So I put some ice on it, and like it really wasn't that bad. Like I was reading like horror stories online. I'm like, "Oh my god, am I gonna die?" And like, <laughs> yeah, no, my mom, me, and my sister Amanda have all been stung by jellyfish and yeah. like it's so i got stung on my foot Ugh. and amanda got stung on her leg hers look gnarly well like i said i think i just kind of got like swiped by one yeah. tentacle thank god like the it wasn't multiple mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. so yeah it was rough though it, it sucked oh yeah it felt like <laughs> like a line of yellow jackets like <laughs> yeah it's not fun yeah it's it's really it really sucks a lot yeah so. just like i said last episode the jellyfish are my least favorite thing about the ocean so i never in my life i always get scared also when um that day that me and my mom went to pcb um and i told you about those little tiny jellyfish Mm -hmm. i don't know if there was just a lot of them but we kept feeling like what like you know like if somebody were to throw sand at you Mm -hmm. how like it it will sting Mm -hmm. we kept feeling that like all over our bodies at random points so i'm wondering if we were just like getting stung (laughs) repeatedly i wonder if it could have been fish nibbling on you no because you can see the fish but those little jellyfishes i was talking about they kind of blended in with the water yeah but the fish were freaking me out there was this one fish that literally followed my mom and i everywhere and my mom's like oh my god it's so cute i'm like please get it away (laughs) I don't do it. I don't do the fish yeah. at all. So, 
Eek. But anyways, um, are we ready to dive into the stories after this 11-minute intro? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so I have a two-parter for you guys. Um, obviously, by two-parter, I mean one part this week, second part the next week. Mm-hmm. And um, my story today is about um, like a stalker tormentor attacker called the poet wow okay have you heard of that no no i was i just knew i was going to know exactly what you're talking about because it seems like you have a lot of research but no i don't think i do ever heard of the name ruth finley no okay so um for my sources i used an article on medium.com and um don't go read the article till i finish because this story is shocking and I'd rather you hear it from me. Yeah. But then, you know, this this article is really good, so I would really recommend reading it eventually, <laughs> like in two weeks. So, okay. One afternoon on June of 1977, 47-year-old Ruth Finley was at home when her husband, Ed, collapsed while doing yard work in the backyard. And this was supposedly a heart attack. Mm -hmm. While Ed was laying in a hospital bed, um, and the doctors were trying to figure out, like, a conclusive diagnosis, Mm -hmm. Ruth was at home, you know, obviously worrying about him and listening to the radio to distract herself. Um, Unfortunately, this was when BTK was running wild in Wichita. Mm -hmm. And so she's basically just hearing about... Yeah. Dennis Raider. Yeah. Um, so she changed the station to easy <clears throat> listening. Suddenly, the telephone started ringing, and Ruth's first thought was that it was the hospital calling with bad news because it was pretty late in the day. It's not like, you know, anybody else would really be calling her at this point. Yeah. She answered the phone, and instead of it being news about Ed, an unfamiliar male voice asked, is this Ruth Smock from Fort Scott, Kansas? Mm-hmm. This instantly struck her as weird because not only had she lived in Fort Scott, like in decades, mm-hmm. um, Smock was also her maiden name. Okay. Um, but she still answered it, saying it was her. Mm-hmm. The voice replied, "I know all about that night," and Ruth instantly knew what he was talking about. Oh. Um, The man began reading the October 15th, 1946 article from the Fort Scott Tribune, branded on both thighs by a a hot flat iron, apparently by a sex maniac. Ruth Smock, 16-year-old Fort Scott high school girl, was resting resting today at the home of her parents following an attack upon her early last night. Oh, no. On that night in 1946, Ruth had returned to her rooming house after buying some groceries when the screen door opened her opened up behind her. Sorry, a tall man wearing dirty bib overalls and was roughly about 50 years old grabbed her from behind and began tearing at her clothes. Ruth began struggling to break free of the man by jabbing his eyes with her thumbs. Good. Yeah. Wow, 16 years old. That's smart. Right. But the man became enraged and told her, I'll fix you so no one will look at you again. Mm. 
He then covered Ruth's mouth with a chloroform-soaked rag, and she faded into unconsciousness. The last image she saw before totally fading out was of the man heating a flat iron (gasps) on the stove. Oh. When she woke up, she had first-degree burns on both of her thighs and bloody scratches all over her face, arms, and legs. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, definitely a traumatic event. What the funk? (laughs) This is horrible. Did you just say funk? What the funk? (laughs) (laughs) What the funk? Oh, my God. What the fuck? Okay, so... It had been 31 years since this attack when the man called. And the man on the other line asked her if she still had her brand, the branding on her thighs. Ruth replied saying she didn't know what he was talking about, even though she did. Of course. The man told Ruth that he worked for a construction company that was currently tearing down old houses in Fort Scott, and he found the newspaper in the walls of one of these houses. He told her that if she didn't give him money, he would spread the news of her attack, following up telling her that he knew where she worked and wait, following up telling her that he knew where she worked, which was a telephone company. Mm. Ruth immediately hung up the phone and went into a 10 hour slumber because I'm sure that resurfaced a lot of trauma for her. My God. Unfortunately, Ed was in the hospital for another week. And the doctors determined that he hadn't suffered a heart attack, but it was a holdover injury from a previous car accident. Wow. So while Ed was in the hospital, Ruth was home all alone, fearing that she would get another phone call. But thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, So Ed came home and Ruth just kind of tried to push that phone call out of her head, you know, distracted herself, whatever she could do not to really think about it. And worry her husband, probably. Right. Yeah. She didn't tell him. Mm -hmm. Later during the summer, Ruth was in her office where she worked as a secretary at Southwestern Bell Company. She came across an envelope on her desk with her name written in messy handwriting. Inside the envelope was the same newspaper article that the man on the phone had read to her. That's so creepy. Over the next several months, Ruth kept getting calls from the man. She would hang up before he could get more out than her name. And sometimes Ed would answer the phone, but he would only hear a dial tone. Mm-hmm. So, But she knew it was him. Yeah. Ruth and Ed both grew up in grew up (laughs) in poverty where their parents were farmers and homemakers in rural Kansas. I hate that word. I do too. So much. This was during the Great Depression and their families really suffered because of it. Both of them had harsh disciplinary parents who instilled that emotions were to be repressed. Mm -hmm. You didn't let anyone see you cry and you never brought attention to yourself. Wow. Both Ruth and Ed wanted their neighbors to view them as responsible, polite, and ordinary people. They were both creative, with Ruth working with ceramics and Ed as a painter. Wow. August of 1977, Ruth was window shopping in downtown Wichita when a man came out of nowhere from a crowded crosswalk and fell into stride with Ruth, though she didn't notice at first. She Oh, 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 okay, gotcha. Fell into stride. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Suddenly, the man told her, you've done a good job working this week. You can take the weekend off. Oh, what a weirdo. Yeah. 
Ruth took the Ruth took in his appearance, saving as much detail as she could. He was in his late forties, about five nine, really skinny, wearing a plaid shirt, jeans, and white canvas shoes. His hair was black and graying at the temples. You work for the telephone company, don't ya? The man asked, but Ruth ignored him. He kept on, though. What do you do there? Are you an operator? But Ruth still just kept ignoring him. The man told her that he had recently won some money in Las Vegas and then proceeded to ask her if she would like to go to Las Vegas. Ew. So she just continues ignoring him and she just keeps walking. Um, And the man just kind of abruptly switched the conversation and just... Okay, he says, the camera reflects the true quality of one's soul. Mm, I like, hate him. Okay. Like, oh, what a creeper. Cool. <laughs> oh my God, I feel yeah. so bad for this woman. At this <clears throat> point, Ruth wasn't really scared, just annoyed. I would have been super scared. <sighs> I would have been terrified. <laughs> she said, I'm waiting for my husband, just to kind of like deter him. Mm-hmm. The man asked her if she was still married, and Ruth just kept ignoring him. His tone became menacing, and he told her, I like your face. I'll see you again. You can count on that. Oh, my God. Some people's fantasies are other people's nightmares. Oh. Oh. That's disgusting. That's terrifying. I would have been so scared. Excuse me. The man left, and when Ed came to meet her, Ruth told him about the man, but, you know, Ed just kind of figured it was just a stupid dude trying to, you know, pick up a woman or whatever. Mm. But, like... Okay, does Ed know about her past? Um, uh, I'm not I'm not sure. I think he might know about the assault, but I, he doesn't know about the phone calls and, like, the newspaper clipping. Mm-hmm. So... A year passed, and Ruth trusted that Ed was right about the man because she never saw him again. Until June of 1978, when she was shopping downtown again, and as she passed an alleyway, someone reached out and grabbed her. Hell no. By the wrist. Oh. And it was the man that she had seen. Ruth, get back here, you stupid bitch, and talk to me. Oh, my God. But Ruth yanked her wrist free and ran across the street into a Macy's and rode the escalator to the fifth floor. And this is where she called Ed and asked him to pick her up immediately. Once Ed picked her up, Ruth told him about the man and also about the phone calls, which, as I've said, she hadn't disclosed to him yet. And like a good husband, Ed was very worried and went to the police station and filed a report. Um, But, of course, as we can kind of see through cases like these... They don't care. They didn't take any action, Mm -hmm. so... In October of that year, Ruth received an envelope in the mail with her name scrawled on it in tall black letters. Inside was a piece of paper that said, Fuck you, fuck the police, fuck the telephone company. Holy cow. That was written towards the top. But the letter basically was demanding that Ruth give him money or that he would hurt her pretty much. Oh, this is so scary. Yeah. Ruth showed the letter to Ed and he insisted that they go back to the police. So on November 6th, they drove to the Wichita Police Department headquarters 
and were directed to the Criminal Investigation Division. Lieutenant Bernie Drowatsky, I really, that's how I'm going to say it, Mm -hmm. told them that his division didn't usually take on cases like this, but since it, it was three years into BTK's reign of terror, they weren't taking any chances, especially since BTK is also known to send letters. This needs to be a movie. Um, I think there might be one. Yeah? I think maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. Don't take my word for that. (laughs) (laughs) So Ruth told uh, Drowatsky that she didn't have any enemies and that her and Ed's two sons were grown and out of the house. They lived a normal life and they were friendly with all of their neighbors. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really a reason for anyone to torture her. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially like somebody that she knew. Yeah. The next week, Ruth received another letter in the mail demanding $100. This motherfucker is ruthless. Oh, dude, it just gets so much worse. terrifying. I can tell if anybody is watching me. Don't be a dumb bitch again and blow this. I will try to be your friend, but when you are a dumb bitch, I don't like you. This time, you talk to me when I call you soon. The letter ended with a poem, quote unquote, and it says... Wherever you go on water or land, you still got to pay or I tell about your brand. I am smart and know things to do. You talk to people I despise, like police lieutenant and telephone spies. Hmm. <laughs> what? Okay, so <clears throat> I guess because this was a different era of time, uh-huh. she was very, like, humiliated by what happened to her when she was younger. Yeah. Because, like, me, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Like, go tell my business. I don't care. You know, it's already like in a newspaper article. Might as well just. I guess back then you would be very ashamed of something like that happening. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, where nowadays, you know, especially because her her old mother's like, Mm -hmm. you do not draw attention to yourself. You know, crying is weakness. Mm -hmm. You know, you are weak if you are anything other than just a happy girl. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I don't know. I just it's something I was thinking about. So I was trying to kind of put it into perspective for anybody listening. Like, why right. didn't she just say, fuck you, dude? Tell my business. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, like, he also threatened to hurt her, too. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's probably a mixture of both. Mm. Yeah. Yuck. The letters became more and more um, indecipherable. There were tons of misspelled words, abbreviations, and tongue-twisting words, which I did not include because I could not pronounce a single one of them. Oh, my God. But there were even made-up words like sanchust and psychosthenia. What the hell? They're both not real words. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The writer also talked frequently about wanting to see the brands on Ruth's thighs. So, Ruth would take the letters and type them up before handing them over to Drowatsky so they would be easier to decode because they were just... A mess. Right. The phone calls continued, but whenever Ed answered, there was only a dial tone or the caller hung up or the man would say, Ruth, and then hang up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, the calls did stop and Ed and Ruth were hopeful that, you know, the man just kind of gave up and was going to leave them alone. But on November 21st, 1978, Ruth was out running some errands downtown while wearing a red blouse, black pants, and a black jacket. She was crossing North Market Street when a blue-green 1964 Chevy Bel Air suddenly blocked her path. 
The man she had been bothered by twice downtown jumped out of the car and asked Ruth, have you got any money? Oh, my gosh. As he kicked Ruth's shin, she doubled over in pain and the man grabbed her and shoved her into the back seat and then climbed in next to her and slammed the door shut. Oh, my God. There was a man in the driver's seat drinking something from a brown paper bag in which the attacker called Buddy. So the driver's Buddy. Ruth desperately tried to find a way to escape, but the door handle was broken. And the left rear window was covered with plastic. And the dashboard was crisscrossed with white white tape. On the floor, she saw gas cans, pieces of concrete, chains, and rags. This is horrifying. I know. (laughs) The man told her to give him her purse. He found her money and her safe deposit key. He also found Drowatsky's business card, which pissed him off. Mm -hmm. He picked up a piece of concrete and slammed it into (sighs) Ruth's head, screaming, you stupid bitch. And then Ruth collapsed into her seat. Poor woman. So the car drove off with Ruth still dazed in the back seat. The men were talking so rapidly that Ruth couldn't make out what they were saying. But I'm sure that also had something to do with being hit in the head with a piece of concrete. I'm sure she had a concussion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the car stopped at Twin Lakes Shopping Center and the man said, we'll get rid of her, but not here. Which understandably scared Ruth to her core. Yeah. She remembered that she had mace in her purse. Good for you, Ruth. But she was too frightened to re- to reach for it. Mm-hmm. The driver seemed to be driving aimlessly without a route in mind. I would never go anywhere alone, ever. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. me either. Mm. (laughs) Me either. If I was getting all these phone calls and letters and stuff, yeah. And guys grabbing me in alleys and no, same dude stalking my life. Are you kidding me? Right, right. Mm. So four hours later, Ruth told them that she had to pee. But the men just laughed at her. So she made herself gag and told them that she would throw up if they didn't let her use the bathroom. (laughs) Which I would do that too. Yeah. (laughs) So Buddy stopped next to a park near West 21 Street and Selena. They made her take off her shoes and sweater before letting her out of the car so that she wouldn't run away. Because it was cold outside. Mm Mm-hmm. The man got out with her and said, this is going to be fun. I'll watch you and you watch me. Don't that sound like fun? Ew. This is when Ruth just kind of like slid her hand down into her purse and just kind of held on to that mace. Mm-hmm. They reached the lake and the man told Ruth that he would pee first and then he released her arm. So Ruth grabbed her can of mace and sprayed it in his face. Good. As the man began to cough, Ruth made a run for it barefoot and without her sweater in this super cold weather. Mm -hmm. And she found a large bush to hide behind where she just kind of listened to see if she could hear them, you know, still running after her. Mm -hmm. The man called out to her saying, you'll freeze if we leave you here. Come get your shoes and your coat and we won't bother you anymore. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) I'll freeze. (laughs) I'd rather freeze. (laughs) So Ruth was shivering and her feet were going numb, 
but she stayed crouched behind the bush until long after she didn't hear the man yelling for her anymore. Mm-hmm. When she couldn't take the cold any longer, she ran and she ran. Okay, yeah, she ran into a liquor store across the street and told the cashier that someone was after her. The owner called the police and Ruth's husband. Ed picked up the phone and Ruth reassured him that she was okay, like out of harm's way. And obviously, Ed was extremely worried about her when um, she was reported missing from work earlier. So, yeah. Yeah. By the time Ed got to the liquor store, Ruth was already at police headquarters. Good. <laughs> so, Lieutenant Drowatsky told Ed that, he, that the men had stolen Ruth's $300 paycheck and a $100 savings bond. Drowatsky didn't tell Ruth or Ed this, but his suspicion that the man who was tormenting Ruth might actually be btk oh my god the letter that btk had been sending to people were similar to the letter that ruth had been getting in the mail which worried the police that you know ruth may be his next victim the next day detective richard zortman went to the park where ruth had escaped and was able to find her shoes and sweater he followed her footprints but was unable to find any more evidence than that they also ran a check on every 1964 Chevy Bel Air in the city, but nothing came of it. Mm. During the next five weeks, detectives kept Ruth on surveillance during her lunch breaks in order to protect her mm-hmm. and hopefully to find her tormentor, but no suspicious activity was recorded. Oh my gosh. But this dude seems like he it, he comes in waves. Yeah. It's like he comes full throttle and then he just kind of disappears and, and then comes back. Yeah. That's so scary. Detective George Anderson drove with Ruth and Ed to Fort Scott to do some investigating on her sexual assault that happened when she was only a teenager. The mystery man was fixated on this assault and what happened to her. So they figured if they, you know, did some research, they might would be able to come up with a suspect. Right. Ruth looked at mugshot after mugshot after mugshot that they had on file. And um, then later that month, Anderson went back for a two-day visit to find any clues whatsoever, but nothing came of either. They just like, this dude is a ghost. Yeah. Lieutenant Drowatsky went on a talk show sponsored by KEYN Radio to try and lure the man out by talking about Ruth's tormentor. Ruth and three detectives listened in on the studio telephone to see if Ruth recognized any of the voices, but none of them sounded like the man. (sighs) The stress and trauma from it all were causing Ruth to have migraines and stomach cramps, which she figured were psychosomatic, but she never reached out for help (sighs) because her mother had instilled in her that weakness was to be avoided at all costs. So sad. I know. Can you imagine, like, the person who's supposed to, like, love you the most in this world just doesn't want you to feel anything. Yeah. Or experience anything. Like, that is so sad to me. What a cold human. Like, not having a mother as a comfort source. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know that tons of people do have that, like, nowadays where Mm -hmm. their moms just obviously don't care, but... It's just so sad. Mm -hmm. So in December, Drowatsky received a letter stating that he was protecting a whore from death. (laughs) Yeah. 
<sighs> At night, when Ruth tried to sleep, Ed would bunk her up in the bushes in the back in the backyard with a 12 gauge shotgun, okay, hoping Ed. I know, all right, <laughs> hoping that the man would find his way to the barrel of his gun. Go, Ed. Winter turned to spring and spring into summer, all the while the letters kept pouring in for Ruth. My God. All of the letters were written with rhyming verses, so Ed called the writer the poet. Mm -hmm. Except they were poems about extreme violence and explicit gross sexual content towards Ruth. Oh my gosh. The whore bore her guilt in her bed of slime from selling her ass and not charging a dime. What? Slept with strangers in evil bed. Enraged demon hunters saw blood was red. All bitches should keep their names and faces secret. Um, this is the kind of shit that she's getting in the mail. Uh, I wonder if that's true. Was she a prostitute? I don't think so. Okay. I think, <laughs> I think she lived a relatively normal life. Hmm. What a weirdo. So, July of 1979, the letters finally stopped again, and Ruth and Ed began planning their annual summer trip to Dude Ranch in Colorado. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's D-U-D-E, which is dude, but I've never heard of Dude Ranch. Hmm. So, if it's something else and I sound stupid, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, August 13th. After Ruth got off work, she told Ed that she wanted some new jeans for their trip and that she would um, be going to Dillard's at the Town East Mall. Bad move, Ruth. Ed was nervous, of course. <laughs> Ed should have been by her side with a shotgun. <laughs> I agree. Mm. But Ruth assured him that she would be fine, which Ruth is, like, insane because I, if, if I was getting letters... Ruth's a tough bitch. It's only been a month and, and she hasn't received any letters. Mm -hmm. I still would be terrified. Dude, I would like move out of the country. Yeah, I would definitely. Oh my God. Leave. Change my name, everything. Yeah. I feel like back then too, I, I feel like nowadays they would have been caught by now, hopefully. You know. Well, with all the DNA, mm -hmm. you know, forensics we have, I'm sure they could have found something on the letters. Because, I mean, they were handwritten. Yeah. Ugh. After buying her new pants, it was beginning to get dark outside. So, you know, Ruth kind of realized, like, you know, this would be the perfect time to be attacked. <laughs> so she hurried to her car. And unfortunately, she heard a man's voice shout to her saying, Hey, Ruth, I didn't know you were going to make this so easy. Ruth mm. recognized him as the man who had kidnapped her a year ago. And before she could make it safely into her car, the man came up behind her and slammed her head against the window, ordering her to get in. Jesus Christ. He told her that he wanted to take her to a bridge near August Airport Road. He threw a paper bag into the backseat of her car, which contained rope, white tape, a red bandana, and a half-empty bottle of wine. Ruth was able to break free of the man and tried to step around the car, but the man withdrew an eight-inch knife and stabbed her twice in the back. What? And once in her side. And so on that third stab, the man lost his grip and the knife became stuck in her side. <sighs> she ran to the passenger side seat and rolled up the window. <laughs> and while she's rolling up the window... 
this dumbass man like tries to reach in to get her um but you know she's just rolling it up too fast so he has to withdraw his hand and when he withdrew his hand his fingers got stuck in the window and she just drove and i guess when she looked to her right um his glove was still stuck in the window yeah well damn i wish it was his fingers me too but no it was maybe that helped though (laughs) right um so the knife was still in her side as she my this poor woman yeah um as she drove off into traffic blood was pouring out of her and onto the seat and she was beginning to feel woozy she veered off into the parking lot of a gas station and parked in front of a pay a payphone payphone a payphone and called the police they said they would send an officer to where she was but ruth was so scared that the man would pull up behind her um so she just kind of took the extra five minutes back to her house what yeah this shit is so bananas it seems like made up (laughs) like i just cannot like what this is definitely if it's not a movie it needs to be so captain themesch who was the one that answered ruth's call when she you know called the police he called ed to let him know what happened and so and so when ruth pulled up um a worried ed was waiting outside for her and he moved her to the passenger seat and drove to St. Joseph's Hospital. Um, Lieutenant Drowatsky met the Finleys at the hospital where Ruth exposed um, the large knife sticking out of her side to him. She just kind of like, look at that. While Drowatsky talked with the doctor, the knife slid out of Ruth's side and fell to the floor. Like, oh, that just oh makes me God. cringe. There were deep gashes on Ruth's back and left arm and a two-inch deep wound. If the knife had made it any deeper, it would have killed her. Wow. The local TV news station covered the story of what happened to Ruth in the parking lot, and the Wichita Eagle Beacon featured the headline, Woman Stabbed Resisting Abduction. There was also a sketch of the man in the article, and it stated that the man was writing to at least two women in the Wichita area. So it was more than just Ruth. Wow. Ruth was in the hospital for nine days recovering from her wounds, and a nurse told police that a man that fits the description of Ruth's attacker had inquired about Ruth at the nurse's station. No. Drowatsky decided to stay with the Finleys for 48 hours to be sure the man wouldn't come to their house, but he never did. Of course he didn't. Within the next few months, the poet had been creeping around the Finleys' home and leaving notes on their porch. What? Loud noises were also heard coming from their garage. And the note left on their porch said, A fucked up childhood causes anger and hate. Players of game are forced to wait what oh my god yeah so this is actually where we're gonna stop for today oh my god thanks for leaving me hanging you're welcome (laughs) oh man what it it just honestly gets crazier from here what this is just the tip of the iceberg okay i'm telling you like this shit is made up (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's a lot it's a lot but you know like it it reminds me of golden state killer because mm-hmm. you know he used to you know come in rape women and then torment them for weeks and months and months afterwards just by calling them and just 
Mm. Being a disgusting human being. You know how badly I want to read this article, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let you finish telling your story next week, but this is killing me. Thank you for not, because I'll be very upset if you do. (laughs) Oh, my God. I feel like it's going to be the craziest shit. Like, Ruth made this all up in her head, and she's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Or it really was the BTK strangler. Oh, man. I guess we'll see what happens next week. Oh, man. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, honestly, I really probably could have done it all today because it's only been like about 40 minutes Mm -hmm. but i just it would have been like oh it'd been like you know an hour and 20 minutes from just my part and then i don't know i didn't want to overwhelm anybody but nobody i think you just overwhelmed us by not finishing the story (laughs) Alyssa. (laughs) you guys will hear it next week um if you do know the story we're not debating it yet we're not saying anything about it yet so just wait till next week All right, well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back. Hello. Hello. Ooh. Ooh. Hey. Hey. Ooh. hey. <laughs> we both just. Uh. Hey, guys. Welcome to part two. <laughs> Welcome to part two. So we took a little break. We ended up going to Sonic for dinner and it was the worst experience ever. But anyway, yeah. So I guess I'm going to dive on into my story. So today's part two is the Tyler Hadley story. Um, yeah. I am going to tell you my resources as well, because I never do that. (laughs) So um, I pulled info from tcpalm.com, abcnews.com, rollingstone.com, and mycrimelibrary.com. Nice. I I always, always forget to do that. Right. I um, (laughs) am. Brooke told me what she was covering as we took the break, and... um, I know, just in case this person's listening, (laughs) (laughs) I know that uh, somebody had reached out to me and said that they knew somebody who, um, I think, I'm pretty sure they said they were at Tyler Hadley's party, or like they were supposed to go to his party, or something like that, Um, and um, I was supposed to like interview them whenever we covered this case but i had no idea that brooke was doing it this week so just in case you're listening whoopsie i didn't know so sorry (laughs) (laughs) but this case is literally insane yeah so Alyssa is familiar with this case but i hope some of you are not i don't remember when i first heard about this but i've known about it for several years so tyler hadley was born on december 16th 1993 to mary joe and blake hadley He was premature, weighing only 3 pounds, 10 ounces, and that required him to stay in the NICU for about a month. I bet, yeah. Uh, Tyler had a brother by the name of Ryan, and Ryan was nine years older than him. So it was just the two boys. Family members said that as a child, Tyler was loving, but he was withdrawn, and that he suffered from anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. He was close with his parents, but was quite shy, and he would quit sports and hobbies, such as learning to play the drums and the trombone, saying that he wasn't good enough. At me. Yeah. yeah. 
By just 10 years old, he was being treated with various medications for everything from acne to depression to growth hormones for a thyroid condition. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. By the ages 11 through 13, he started getting into trouble, which worried his parents. He started skipping school, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Uh, He was graffitiing public bathrooms with Sharpies, painting people's cars with shoe paint, breaking windows and things in people's yards, stealing people's Christmas lights, and setting small fires in the woods and watching them ignite. Okay. And just basically engulf the entire woods. So your typical typical things to do. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I I don't think those are typical, but... (laughs) But it, it was a joke, but honestly, typical for people like him. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were meant like, yeah, that's typical boy things. <laughs> well, I did mean it that way, but in like a sarcastic way. <laughs> I don't know, because it's funny, because I know somebody that now is a, as an adult has started to come out with some of the things they did when they were around this age, and I'm like, oh, you did that. <laughs> do I know this person? Yes, you do. Yes, okay. Because <laughs> I know exactly what you're yes. thinking about right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so hey you. Anyway, <laughs> Tyler was drinking by the age of 12. He was smoking pot by oh the age of 15. God, okay, by the age of 12. 12. Can you imagine that just just no. for a second? Like, how old were you the first time you got drunk? Probably like 17. Okay, I was 16. Yeah. 12? You were 12. literally like a, a baby. Yeah. You were like a little thing yeah (laughs) ew that's so gross right i can't even imagine wanting to drink at 12 no ew uh he was smoking pot by the time he was 15 which i think that's smoking 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 pot but i think that's kind of typical you said 16 15 oh 15 yeah i know a lot of people who smoked around that age yeah he was taking pills as well um by the age of 16 he was taking xanax percocet oxycodone ecstasy and dmt by the time he was 16 years old And these were kind of Tyler's way of self-medicating, as you can imagine. By 2011, Tyler was 17, and he was living with his parents, Mary Jo, who was 47, and Blake, who was 54. Mary Jo was an elementary school teacher, and Blake was a watch engineer. The three of them were living in Port Port St. Lucie, Florida. Why am I having a hard time saying that? Uh, Ryan, his older brother, had already moved out. The family had come to Port St. Lucie years before. I'm having a hard time with that. <laughs> Port St. Lucie. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It, it really doesn't. Port St. Lucie. Port St. Lucie. Uh, several years before, thinking that the quiet community would be the perfect area to raise their two sons. Tyler was enrolled at Port St. Lucie High School <laughs> and was not a popular kid by any means. I'm having a hard time with that. I don't like it. Point say, port say, See? <laughs> yes, did you say porn? Porn St. Lucie. <laughs> that should not be difficult. Port St. Lucie. When I was writing it, it seemed a lot easier than it is saying it. Say it in a country accent. Port St. Lucie. It's easier that way. Port St. Lucie. Because you say it real slow. Port St. Lucie. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like I said, he wasn't popular. And he had always been quiet and difficult to read but now he seemed eccentric unpredictable and troubled he had a bizarre personality said classmate cameron adams really hyper he'd always try to pull a crowd in the middle of a lesson he would start laughing he would just blurt stuff out once in the middle of biology class he started mooing loudly like a cow (laughs) 
I remember those kids. I do too. Yeah. They were either very entertaining or very annoying. annoying. Right. Yeah. And right. you never knew which kind they were going to be uh-huh. that day. Yeah. Uh, on Mother's Day, Tyler chatted on Facebook with his friend Mercedes Marco. Tyler told her that he had been put on court-ordered house arrest due to a fight. So this is the conversation between the two of them. Mercedes says, I'm sad. That sucks, dude. Is your mom pissed? LOL. And Tyler replies, no, she's disappointed. I feel bad. She's crying. Mercedes says, oh, did you do anything for her today? It's Mother's Day. And Tyler replies, yeah, me and my brother took her out to eat and whatnot. Ha ha. And Mercedes replies back, oh, that's so nice. LOL. You can leave your house on house arrest. I guess so. What the, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Okay. And uh, Tyler responds back, LOL, I know. In all capital letters, it was a nice day. Seems like a nice, friendly son thing to do, right? I guess. Yeah, well, I don't know how he left the house, though. That's With a very, very good question. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, Blake and Mary Jo Hadley felt that they had tried everything to get their son on track, um, including a psychiatrist, antidepressants, and an outpatient mental health center and a substance abuse program. But not a whole lot had changed with Tyler. He was just getting in a lot of trouble and just he was disturbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, he had become bulimic and he'd lost 30 to 40 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. He had a couple run-ins with the law and had even been arrested for getting into a fight at a friend's house. And that's where the uh, house arrest st- stemmed from. His parents felt that they were just losing their grasp on him. So he comes home drunk one night, and his parents take away his phone and his car, which totally understandable. I mean, yeah, especially if he drove it home. What the heck? Yeah. So this is when Tyler first told his best friend, Michael Mandel, that he wanted to kill his mom. Michael said he didn't take him seriously. It just sounded like typical teenager, you know, stuff, mad at his mom no, for punishing him. No, not typical teenager. Have you ever said, I want to kill my mom? I haven't, but I could see a teenager saying, like, God, I could just kill her, you know? Uh, I don't know. I've uh, never, ever seen that from. Yeah. No, I don't think that's normal. Yeah, probably not. I mean, but I could, I don't know. I could see a teenager maybe thinking it's a normal teenager thing, but it's really not. Like, if your friend is talking about wanting to kill a person, I would take it seriously no matter what. Because, I mean, as we'll learn in this story. You're right. You're right. Now, around this same time, Tyler had a Facebook conversation with his friend Mercedes again. And he says, LOL, yup, she's a cunt for show i might kill oh, her for show Dude. i might kill her oh my god again and mercedes says oh my god no jail or i mean prison lol and tyler replies oh well with a heart mercedes seems kind of dumb yeah uh, okay like i think <laughs> they're just thinking he's like being dramatic yeah i don't know dude that would not be somebody i'd want to associate with i think right <clears throat> Um, on July 15th, 2011, the Hadleys all went out to a family dinner. Miss Hadley had told friends in previous weeks that she finally felt like she was getting the old Tyler back and that she was happy to see her son finally making some improvements. So things had been going, you pretty know, well, yeah, pretty yeah. well. Uh, the day after the family dinner was July 16th, 2011. It was a Saturday. All that week, Tyler had been bragging around school that he was going to throw a party. 
claiming that his parents were going to be out of town, but nobody believed him. The Hadleys were known as strict parents. They would never allow Tyler to have a party, and especially with all the trouble he had been into, mm-hmm. they're not going to allow a party at their home. Right. So uh, he was not popular, again, and he wasn't known for having parties, so everybody's like, yeah, whatever, bro. Yeah. We were not coming anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that evening, or I'm sorry, that morning, Tyler messaged his friend Antonio Ramirez, once again saying that he was trying to have a party. They had a conversation on Facebook around 11.30 a.m., and it went like this. Tyler, sup, bra, bra. <laughs> Antonio, chillin', what you doing tonight? And Tyler says, trying to have a party at my crib. Antonio says, your parents ain't home? Tyler, nope. Well, they're leaving soon. Tyler posted a message on his Facebook wall around 1.15 saying, having a party tonight, dot, 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 maybe. No one was convinced by this, but at 8.15, Tyler posted another Facebook status. Party at my house. Hit me up. So a friend named Ashley Hayes messages him and she says, whoa, what if your parents come back home? Tyler says they won't trust me. God, yikes. Yeah. That just sends goosebumps. Mm-hmm. That night, nearly 60 teenagers showed up to the Hadley home, many of which Tyler didn't even know. The home quickly looked like it had been ransacked. Teens were drinking, smoking weed, trashing the inside and the outside of the house. Mm -hmm. Drugs were being sold. Food was torn from the kitchen cabinets. Dirty dishes were everywhere. Pictures were knocked off the wall. Um, A makeshift beer pong table was set up and beer cans were scattered across the front lawn. Cigarettes were being put out on the rug, the kitchen counter, and the walls. It was just chaos. Chaos, yeah. Um, The beer pong table was set up next to the computer, where the kids took turns playing their favorite rap songs. The white keyboard and certain areas of the floor were sticky with a brownish dried liquid. Beer, probably. No one really paid much attention. Right. Teens snickered that the house smelled like, and I quote, dead people. Yeah, hmm. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Many of the teens had been told that Tyler's parents were away, vacationing in Orlando. As Tyler's friend Mark Andrews was leaving the party, Tyler asked if they could speak privately. Tyler went outside and ordered all the kids standing there to get back into the house so that his neighbors wouldn't call the cops. Once everyone was inside, Tyler tells Mark, Dude, I did some things. I might go to prison. I might go away for life. I don't know, dude. I'm freaking out right now. What are you talking about? Said Mark. Dude, I know you're not going to believe me. No one will believe me. I freaking killed somebody. And Mark says, dude, killing your killing. You killing someone is your own business. Don't be telling me that sort of thing. I don't need to know. Weird. (sighs) Tyler returns back to the house and runs into his friend Ricardo Acevedo, an 18 year old who had met Tyler just that night. Thanks for having us over, said Ricardo, and thanks for the beer. And Tyler says, I just wanted to do something fun before I left. And Ricardo says, where are you going? And Tyler says, I'm going to kill myself. Why would you do that? Because I did something really bad. What'd you do? It can't be that bad. Don't worry, said Tyler. If I get caught, I'll be in jail a long time. 
So there was a girl by the name of Kimberly Theban, Theban, um, and she was known to her friends as K Nasty. Okay. K Nasty. <laughs> she and Tyler were close friends, and she lived two houses down the street. Um, <clears throat> so he goes into the bedroom, finds K Nasty, and he tells her, "I'm going away for sixty years." Sixty. I'm like, how he knew a year? Mm-hmm. Okay. His voice seemed to come from a faraway place. Why, she asked. He said she'd find out tomorrow. I also like how he said, if I get caught, as if he wasn't going to get caught. Like, there was a possibility that he wouldn't get caught. Moron. At some point during the party, Tyler pulled his best friend Michael Mandel aside and told him he wanted to tell him something. So the two of them walk outside. Later, Michael says, Tyler says, Mike... I killed my parents. And I said, no, you didn't, Tyler. Shut up. What are you talking about? And he said, Mike, look at the driveway. All of the cars are there. My parents are in Orlando. I killed my parents. So Michael says he went inside and he then noticed blood by the computer desk and more blood by the master bedroom. Oh, my God. But he thought Tyler was just playing a prank on him. So, like, all these kids are just so, like, trashed out of their mind that they don't notice that they're, like, in a freaking murder scene. Uh, Yeah. Honestly, everything I've read and listened to. It's disgusting. It's literally undeniably a murder scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tyler then tells Michael how he had taken three ecstasy ecstasy pills, hid his parents' cell phones, and then waited with a hammer. That is so just disgusting. Isn't it disgusting? Like, what the heck? Mary Jo was the first to be killed. He stood behind her wearing boots, gloves, and a jacket, plotting her murder for five minutes, hammer in hand, claw out. She was sitting at the computer desk in her bedroom doing some work. As he was gruesomely hitting his mother in the head with the hammer, Dad Blake heard screaming. When he walked into the room to find Tyler being Mary Jo, all he could get out was why. So Tyler's eyes meet his father's eyes, and Tyler replies, why the fuck not, before swinging the hammer at his dad. Dude, I would knock my kid the fuck out. Dude, that was the last words he heard. Why Why the fuck not? Yeah, oh God. Sick. Tyler then told Michael how he drug both the Hadleys into their master bedroom, laid them face down next to each other, tossing the hammer in between them. Three hours it had taken him to clean up the bloody scene. And as we know, um, and as you guys will see in the pictures, it still wasn't cleaned up very well. (sighs) Still thinking that Tyler must be joking, Michael asked him to show him the bodies. Tyler told Michael he wanted some people to leave the party before he took him to the master bedroom. Michael said he wasn't going to wait, and he went to check for himself. Right. I would have mm-hmm. probably done the same thing. The bedroom door was covered in streaks of blood. Michael, well, That's probably all I needed to see, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. All right, dude. Yep, you're, you're telling the truth. Great Bye. party things, <laughs> but I gotta go to bed. Yeah. So Michael opens the door just enough to catch a glimpse of Blake's leg on the bedroom floor. And it was in that moment that he realized Tyler was not lying. Tyler also told Michael that he was planning on backing into the garage and killing himself from carbon monoxide poisoning. So the Tyler, sorry, the Hadley's autopsies came back with horrifying results. 
this part like shook me i don't know if you ever heard the autopsy mm-hmm. results but holy cow it's insane mary joe had been hit so hard in the back of the head that her spine broke imagine i cannot she had seven broken ribs 14 wounds across her back and numerous lacerations across her face and neck the medical examiner used the word pulverized to explain mary joe's post-mortem skull good grief mary joe's head according to the medical examiner was smashed like an egg there was not much left of her skull god can you imagine like even sickening thinking about doing that to one of your parents i mean to a person in general but to your parents imagine how much how much hate there must be in someone and like zero empathy at just void of everything yeah evil like you cannot i i don't even Mm. i'm speechless and the fact that he stood there over her for five minutes watching her and waiting for five minutes yeah that there's nothing you can say that says that this wasn't pre-planned that this especially hiding the cell phones yeah for sure like he was making sure there's no way they could call for help that party was super important yeah ew um now blake who stood over six feet tall and weighed over 300 pounds didn't stand a chance against tyler and the hammer his nose was broken both of his legs were broken each fibula was in pieces and he had 65 blunt trauma injuries, including massive skull fractures. Wow. He had numerous lacerations, and his skull was smashed in in several spots. His brain was floating in blood from the repeated <sighs> hammer strikes. Oh, my God. I just cannot. Ugh. Dude, this kid's sick. It's... I don't understand why he didn't get, well, mm-hmm. he needs to die. Yeah. So, although Michael Mandel learned that his best friend was a murderer that night, he stayed at the party for a few more hours. Because that's what you do. Right. And he later says, if you were in my shoes and that guy was your best friend, you wouldn't want to leave right away. Yes, I would. 100%. Mm-hmm. I would want to be like, hey, guys, there's two dead bodies in the master Get bedroom. Get the fuck out. This Somebody party's the police. over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, is he going mean, to kill everybody? I, in that's there? what I was going to say. Right. I imagine there's 60 kids there. Like, yeah. come like, on. Like, at that point, probably somebody there. He's going to fuck Tyler up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Michael continues saying, I know how heinous and sick this is, you know, what he did, but you wouldn't have ran away because you're comfortable with this guy. You don't see him as a killer. No, I, I personally don't agree with that because, like, if I found out my best friend murdered. Yeah his or her parents you're out literally i mean the and he had such an advantage with there being so many people there because like if it's just you and him yeah, yeah. of course you would play it cool be like oh man dang yeah wow well, uh, i hope you don't out get of here. caught wow <laughs> um i gotta go poop and then you just climb out, out the, the bathroom window. window yeah no but there's so many people there i would have instantly just you could have like whispered it, it to somebody and been like you know like, there's dead bodies in there get dude out, get out yeah 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 um yeah that's just crazy to me like i'm imagining like Alyssa, i'm at your house and you're like i have to tell you something my parents are in my bedroom dead 
and I go look and they're in there dead, you think I'm going to just sit down on your couch and hang out with you? Yeah, I definitely <laughs> don't think you'd believe me at first, but then like, when you see the dead bodies, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure if it was just you and me, I think you'd be like, wow, Alyssa, wow. What I would are be you scared to death. <laughs> but I think that, you know, you probably would have waited a while just to kind of like, you know, let mm-hmm. the tension kind of go away so you could Because I was safely. terrified. <laughs> yes, but if there's 60 other kids there, mm-hmm. you instantly just run. Yeah. And you're like, there's dead bodies here, dead bodies, dead bodies. And you just Dude, dip yeah. it. Yeah. And you call the police. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I, I can see him feeling that way if it was just him and maybe a couple other people. Yeah. But not a, a house. Full. Not a house. Party. I would have I been like, wow, that's okay and i would have just ran and like told everybody and mm-hmm. just Dipped got the out of the house yeah so this part to me is all the more strange so michael and tyler even posed for a now famous selfie after michael had learned of the murders basically michael said like he knew this was going to be the last time he ever saw tyler so he wanted a selfie with him what why would you want to have a selfie with somebody who just murdered their parents i guess i can't like i'm not in his mind i don't know what the hell he was thinking i mean his brain had to be fucked up you know what i mean like to learn this but like i feel like you were like almost like encouraging yeah and it was like what you did is okay let's take a selfie i'm gonna still party here and then yuck no that's disgusting honestly like if you murdered your parents, I would not want a selfie with you. Yeah. Like, I would wish I could just etch you out of my head. You know what I mean? So, Michael did eventually do the right thing, and he left the party in the early hours of the morning, and he called Crime Stoppers to tell them that Tyler had killed his parents. What is Crime Stoppers? I've heard of it. Why not 911? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, he called a crime stoppers. So. Whatever. He was probably leaving like, hmm, <clears throat> if I don't say something. I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. So I probably should say something. Yeah. That's so weird to me. When officers arrived at the home, the parents' bodies were found with every piece of incriminating evidence Tyler could find on top of them. He buried the corpses beneath a pile of broken dishes, shattered glass, bloody towels and pillowcases, books, a coffee table, a sponge mop, Clorox wipes, and a canister of coffee grounds. Why? That part, I never understand. It. Why did he do that? anything and everything he could over the top of them. Like trying to bury them or like... Just to hide them probably from people at the party. I don't know. But like there's a mound of shit in the middle of the floor and there's a leg hanging out. Like I don't really understand. Right. I feel like that's kind of something very hard to conceal with just furniture. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if everything on top of them is incriminating. Yeah. Like, it's you're basically just throwing the, bizarre. the crime scene into one like, pile. Yeah. Like, just go through this. You'll figure right. everything out. Right. Yeah. So then Tyler took a shower. And then, according to Michael, he stared at his reflection in the bathroom mirror and laughed. Police arrived at the home around 4.30 a.m., and by this point, all of the teens had gone home, and Tyler was home alone. Leaving Tyler shackled in the driveway, officers entered the house. Oh, God. Tyler shouted after them, you can't go in there. Don't go in there. Like, okay, the cops are going to be like, oh, you're right. I can't go in there. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize I Mm -hmm. couldn't go in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Now... Tyler's choice of murder weapon gave fellow inmates several nicknames for him. They called him Ham, Hammer, Hambo, Hadley Hambo, and Bam Bam. 
He was also considered pretty popular in prison, and he would autograph things for other inmates. Ew. Disgusting. He once signed, and I quote, I don't know if you're a fan, but you should be. It's hammer time. Oh, my God. Disgusting. Ew. Imagine embracing that, too. Like, that's that's how you know for sure that there's nothing inside of him. That's So if you guys don't know this, the uh, It's Hammer Time is a reference to MC Hammer's uh, song, You Can't Touch This. Yeah. Everybody knows the song. Yes. Hopefully you got the reference. But that's just disgusting. Yeah. So because Tyler was 17, he couldn't be sentenced to death by Florida law. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 2014, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Now, in April of 2016, his sentencing was overturned by an appeal judge who stated the lower court, and I quote, did not consider the correct alternative to a life sentence. In December 2018, Tyler Hadley was re-sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. He does not need parole. He is currently imprisoned in the, and uh, I have no idea how to say this word, so I'm going to just try this real quick. Okeechobee, Okeechobee Correctional Institution. Okeechobee. 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 Now, although Tyler expressed remorse in the courtroom and to his friends and family through letters, an inmate who was housed with him said that Tyler laughed frequently when discussing the case. Gross. Uh-huh. The inmate, whose name was George Brown, told police that Tyler Hadley had a simple answer when asked why the parents were killed. They deserved it. In April 2015, the Hadley home was demolished. Good. That's a house that definitely needs to go. Absolutely. They deserved it. They did not. Kid wanted to have a party and killed his parents in a absolutely horrific, gruesome, just premeditated, mm-hmm. evil way. There's no other way to put it. I mean, I just... It's just straight evil. Evil. Like, concentrated evil. Mm-hmm. It, God, that story always just makes me... He should never get out. No. I don't care if he was 17. He knew what the that hell he was, was doing. That was an adult crime. Absolutely. That was a you-need-to-be-sentenced-to-death crime because mm-hmm. zero remorse, especially the him having no remorse at all, like, that should automatically invalidate him for parole. I 100% agree. God, what a nasty monster. Yeah. And you know, if he were to hear this podcast, he would be laughing the entire time oh, and just yeah. thinking that... We don't know what we're talking about, but <laughs> God, like, mm. I hate it, dude. That's one of the worst ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, guess that's all we've got today. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> you should have did karaoke with oh, us. Oh hell no! I kept trying to find somebody to do a duet with me, but nobody knows anything I know, and I don't know anything anybody else knows. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you guys for listening. Sorry we always tell you guys really disturbing things. Uh, that's what they're here for. <laughs> I know, but sometimes I feel like, okay, sometimes I'll think of a case and I'm like, wow, I really want to cover that. Like, 
that's so bad but then i go to research it and i'm like "Eh, i don't know if i want to talk about that yeah like on the podcast yeah because things are just like when you're reading them in private like in your head you're just like oh wow wow that's interesting that's crazy but then you think about retelling the story and it's just kind of insane well i thought yours from today was really good and i can't wait to hear the rest oh my gosh cliffhanger nobody nobody i'm telling you nobody research it one week just wait until i finish it please Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i put a lot of work into um that first part so mm-hmm. anyways um if you liked what you heard <laughs> you can join our facebook group um at for god's sake don't drink the jones juice and you can follow our instagram and tiktok at don't drink the jones juice you can buy our mer- our, our merch merch our merch at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. We have some really cool designs on there. We need to add some more. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy a Ouija board shirt at Brooks shop. Um, she's supposed to tell us how many she has and what's <laughs> left, but she never does. So I forget. Sorry. Um, just Come message look. her about it because mm-hmm. I can't do anything now. <laughs> And do we have anything else? Nope. I think that about... we do have something else. Okay. If you want us to read your true crime slash paranormal stories that have happened to you or somebody that you know and they're okay with you sharing it, you can send them to our email at don'tdrinkthejonesjuice at gmail.com. We like to do one once a month. We currently don't have any in our inbox. Um... If we somehow missed yours mm-hmm. and it is in our inbox, send it again mm-hmm. so that we can get it. Do that. <laughs> and I think that's everything, right? I think that's it. All right. For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>